Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, hello there, sports fans. This is not a sports show. It's the Bauer and Rose Show. On Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and the Bauer and Rose podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, make sure and hit the subscribe button so you are informed whenever our podcasts drop. And give us a five-star rating. Bauer's a bit insecure. He needs the reassurance, and a five-star rating would really help us. Well, before we get into what really is a turning point moment in this country. I think you and I can agree that the next two weeks of March Madness are irrelevant to us. We have our weekends back, our teams are gone, and we can live our lives. Excuse me while I weep uncontrollably. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, yeah, another frustrating year for University of Kentucky fans. Uh, great, great group of guys, but, uh, Totally unpredictable which team would show up on the court. That was Indiana's uh, problem. That was exactly yeah. Indiana's problem. Indiana could not put two consecutive games together. And then there's Purdue. And I don't even want to get started on Purdue. I, <laughs> God. Losing to fairly ridiculous? Anyway, um, I am reading a book now. Don't worry, I'm not going to send it to you. And this is serendipitous because I just started it. On Weimar, Germany. The interwar... German democracy that had insidious elements inside and outside that worked at cross purposes to destroy Germany and to pass it into the hands of the Nazis. Now, I'm not arguing that Alvin Bragg is a Nazi. I'm not arguing that we're headed toward stormtrooper America. But the one element, Gary, that is absolutely undeniable in similarity is the mirror image between the way the elites in Weimar, Germany, worked to help the far right and the degree to which the elites in this country are working to help the far left, particularly when it comes to justice, particularly when it comes to using the the legal system of the country to destroy political opponents, and it destroyed Germany. It literally destroyed, it ripped it apart. People were at each other's throats. There was street violence. There was murder. There was mayhem. And the German people, in, in, in their quest for some sense of stability, some sense of order, made the greatest mistake in the history of mankind. And I, what was Franklin's line? We've given you a democracy, madam, if you can keep it. Yeah, Tom, look, I, uh, I first of all, I agree with everything that you just said, which is not surprising. That's what uh, we usually do, except when you go off on the war path against <laughs> a country that has nothing to do with us. But at any rate, uh, avoiding all that stuff. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> um I, look, I, um, I I get up in the morning obsessing, uh, ang- angry at the left, but obsessing about how many Republican uh, leaders still don't get, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face, they still don't get what time it is, what the moment is. I see people in the Republican Party desperately, desperately wanting to go back to the agenda of smaller government, fewer regulations, lower taxes, America abroad in the world, uh, you know, strong national defense. Yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I, I agree with it all. It's all, it's all great. It will not win an election in the foreseeable future. It will not win an election in the foreseeable future. The moment is a populist moment. 
Things are out of control all over the world. People all over the world are feeling as if powerful forces, internationalists, globalists, huge multinational corporations, uh, all kinds of elites are making fundamental decisions about how we live our lives and are prepared to smash us if we won't go along with their demands. And Tom, I, I see a Republican party that by and large just thinks it's, it's got to get back to the Reagan years. I loved Ronald Reagan. I worked for him for eight years. That it's not morning in America, as we have said until we're blue in the face. It's about two minutes till midnight, maybe one minute till midnight. And I, I feel like across the board this week, the re, the reaction of um, those competing for the Republican presidential nomination, the, their reaction to the possibility that Donald Trump will be arrested on trumped-up charges by a Soros-funded prosecutor in New York did, did not meet the moment. It took them 24, 48, 72 hours before their people could craft an appropriate response. Uh, and even then, the, the responses were often weak. Ironically, the guy that did the most, the quickest, was uh, Vivek, uh, another non-politician who tried to shame the other Republicans into speaking with authority. And I say all this, Tom, and, and let me now speak to those who who have decided that it would be a gigantic mistake to not to nominate Donald Trump again. I understand. I, you know, I don't know where I'm going to be yet, but uh, I understand that view that that um, if we nominate Donald Trump, we're just going to get a replay. But those people have also said to me, Tom, in multiple meetings that the challenge here is going to be to not nominate Donald Trump, but to keep Donald Trump's voters. Well, this ain't the way you do it. The only way you keep Donald Trump's voters is convincing the 8 million additional people he was able to convince to vote Republican that the Republican Party or the nominee, whoever it is, is prepared to fight with the same authority and passion and all out punch, punch, punch as he was without some of his personality flaws. And they, they show no sign of being able to convince the voters that they will do that. If you're uh, just landing on an Elon Musk uh, starship from the planet Neptune, uh, a Manhattan grand jury appears on the verge of indicting Donald Trump for, well, we're not quite sure what, for a, mist a, a possible misdemeanor, the statute of limitations of which expired three years ago, and transforming this misdemeanor, which is, which is long since uh, been reviewed and rejected by the most aggressive, the most zealot, zealous uh, anti-Trump uh, prosecutors. Um, this move to indict a former president, the leading presidential candidate for the first time in 260, it's the first, the first time in hundreds of years this has ever happened. And the Rubicon is truly about to be crossed in the sense that if Donald Trump is indeed indicted, and I'll defer to you on your assessment, it looks like that's going to happen. Uh, political prosecutions will no longer be the exception in America. They'll be the rule. And that is the end. That's the end. It's the end of the country. It's the end of the of democracy. People talk, you know, the left is is persistently constantly uh in in Tourette syndrome fashion telling us that any move any dissent against left-wing narratives a threat to democracy a threat to democracy well indicting a former president for the first time in our country's history for no reason whatsoever than other than pure unadulterated hatred um will make political prosecutions the new norm here and transform this country into a uh, uh, an English-speaking version of a uh, South American uh, banana republic. 
Well, Tom, I, I mean, uh, you know, we, we can't parse every word, and so I probably don't need to parse it, but I will anyway. Uh, I've always rejected the idea that the reason the left reacts to Donald Trump the way they do is because uh, they hate who he is. They hate his personality. They hate his uh, nastiness and, and so forth. And, and, you know, it, we've all talked about Trump derangement syndrome. The, the reason I reject it is because it insinuates that the, the solution is for Trump to pass from the scene. And then we'll just get back to normal, you know, rough and tumble politics, not this over the top politics that we've been engaging in. Uh, I don't believe that. I believe the only way we can get back to normal politics in America is if the Republican Party agrees to nominate only candidates that can convince enough Americans to vote for them, while clearly the left understands that those people, those quote-unquote conservatives being elected, won't actually do anything to stop the road we have been on for several decades now. I, I Tom, this, we just keep repeating the same campaign cycles where we, you know, we, we throw a bone over here. We throw, you know, let's get, let's get the Christians to turn out, you know, quote, quote a few Bible verses, uh, you know, let, let's get the economic guys out. Talk about marginal tax rates being brought down. Let's get the defense guys out. The guys that, you know, uh, perpetual war, you know, we're going to increase the defense budget and we're going to go sock so-and-so in the nose. Okay, we got them already. Okay, let's turn them out. And then we get in and we nominate jerks to put on the Supreme Court because they're, oh, they're constitutionalists. How come no president before Donald Trump had consistent Supreme Court appointments the way he did with those three appointments. How come even Ronald Reagan nominated somebody like Sandra Day O'Connor? How did, you know, George Bush nominate Souter? Why did every Republican presidential nominee up to Donald Trump have it driven into their head that when somebody asked them, well, are you going to put somebody on the court that is uh, anti-abortion? That their response should be, oh, I, I don't have any litmus tests about who to put on the court. And then they proved it with their appointments. Uh, they, they definitely didn't put anybody on the court <laughs> that uh, cared about the life issue. Tom, we, the reason people were willing to take a chance on him is they were sick and tired of being played for fools of being treated over and over again like we were country bumpkin idiots. You know, we can always fool those people. A little bit of Christian identity politics, and we'll get them out there to vote, stand in line. And, of course, once we're in power, that's the last they'll hear from us until the next election cycle. Tom, I've got this long history, and I, I no matter how I try, I can't forget it. I remember sitting with a group of conservatives with Carl uh, Rove on a speakerphone, uh, and we were meeting to figure out how George W. Bush was going to get reelected. And we said to Carl, Carl, unless he starts talking about in his second term as president, he will defend marriage as the union of one man and one woman. Unless he starts doing that in his speech in a serious way, you guys are going to lose Ohio. You're going to lose a lot of other states. He won't get a second term. And Carl Rove and the boys at the White House put that into uh, George W. Bush's speech. He went all over Ohio and pulled Ohio out at the last minute and got a second term. George W. Bush did not win one urban area in Ohio. He won the state because he got a record turnout in the suburbs and in the rural areas of the state. Well, then we had Carl Rove back at our next meeting, and Carl Rove on the speakerphone said to us, oh, that didn't have anything to do with him winning Ohio. And so under George W. Bush, we ended up with same-sex marriage. I, 
I, I, I'm so frustrated, so ticked off. How did the Trump tax cuts end up becoming a typical tax cut package? Because he had all the old economic crowd in the Republican Party gather around him and give us the same stuff we get all the time. Things we could have done to hit a populist nerve, like suspend the payroll tax for low-income people, uh, like increasing the child tax credits in major ways. Now, Trump is now talking about all those things because he's unfettered from all the establishment Republican economic wing that cares nothing more than about Wall Street. And he has nothing but populists around him. So I don't know if this can be reconciled in the Republican Party. Right? Because when a, uh, I, I'm looking around the country, when populist conservatives uh, take over a state Republican Party, the, the Republican establishment takes their money and, run, and they go away. They'd rather lose to the Democrats than allow a populist conservative to win. Well, and they're they're certainly succeeding in that. And I know I've heard... Uh, several potential Republican candidates uh, that I've spoken to, that you've spoken to, that we've heard on media speaking about how we need to return to, I guess they would say the pre-George W. Bush era of entitlement reform. Remember, George Bush wins in 2004, uh, a wartime election, a wartime president, and his agenda, as identified and developed by Karl Rove, was to reform, quote-unquote, Social Security. And the administration basically imploded from that point out. The second George W. Bush term was a failure, in my opinion, because he simply mailed it in. And there was an expression, I think, that you <clears throat> initially coined that I... Uh, unashamedly and and unapologetically have stolen and turned into my own, that being right is not enough. You've got to be more than right. You've got to be able to bring people along. You have to, and you'll you'll excuse the reference, you have to be a little FDR here. FDR was the quintessential... Uh, American political impresario. He knew where he wanted to go, but he was wise enough, and I'm talking now about getting the country ready for, for the Second World War, not the Depression, which he mishandled. He knew that the country was not where he was. And he spent years and years and efforts and efforts and a lot of shady dealings um, to help mold and move public opinion, and that's not what's happening now. The left fights a phony enemy. That's why the left is reduced to having to argue that conservatives use quote unquote code words because there's nothing obviously or even or even overtly racist about conservatism. It's become necessary for the left um, uh, to to constantly manipulate language to keep us constantly on the defensive conservatives, that is. Um, and they're quite good at it, and we fall for it every single time. The ground consistently is shifting under us to knock us off our feet. This continued climate of grievance, which is now growing, and Donald Trump makes it easier for the left than um, a less populist candidate because there's uh, so much about him that a lot of people I heard Mark Thiessen uh, the other day on Fox, a Washington Post columnist, a friend of yours, a friend of mine, a very good guy, a bit to the left of me. And I would imagine then if he's a bit to the left of me, he would be um, uh, light years to the left of you. Uh, but he 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 did. Look, you slammed me on Ukraine. Now, you, you had that one coming, Bauer. You had that oh, one coming. I, I, I took it. It <laughs> well, took me a while to get my breath back here from the recovering from he, the blow. He made a comment yesterday that um, I thought was pretty insightful. There are a lot of Republicans who very legitimately aren't crazy about Donald Trump's style, um, and a lot of Republicans who uh, don't really like Donald Trump, 
personally thought he was a great president, thought that the results and the accomplishments spoke for themselves. They prefer a different candidate, but they don't hate Donald Trump. They're not infused with this poisonous hatred that dreams of seeing him in handcuffs for whatever reason. Remember Lavrenta, uh, Lavrenti Beria, the head of the, the, um, the uh, KGB in, in Stalinist times? His famous line to Joseph Stalin was, you name me the man and I'll find you the crime. That's not the way a justice system works. What normal prosecutors do is they look for crimes and then they find out, try to find out who perpetrated the crimes. A real justice system, a free one, an impartial one, does not identify an individual and then begin a search for a crime. That's the road to totalitarianism. That's the road to authoritarianism. And unfortunately, uh, that's the road we're on because there appears to be no safe refuge from left-wing orthodoxy. It's already established a form of soft tyranny that we've got to, to live under using, you know, multiculturalism to keep the masses in tow. And now they're going directly after our leaders. Well, Tom, see, I mean, you're, you're getting you're getting really warm uh, and maybe it's just a matter of uh, of emphasis or whatever. Um, look, they they're going after people who uh stand outside abortion clinics and demonstrate they're they're bringing charges against them that could put them in jail literally for years they've used the fbi to raid the homes of those people that they, they uh they, they have got a bunch of people in jail right now uh, in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding area who literally walked into the Capitol building did, is, have not been caught damaging anything and then walked out of the Capitol building. And some of them have been in jail now over two years awaiting trial. Others of them have gotten their trial and have been sentenced to four, five, six years in prison. This is happening to people at a time in the country when leftists can block major highways, drag people out of their cars and beat them to a pulp, come into parks with baseball bats and attack peaceful demonstrators shout down conservative speakers on campus and threaten those waiting in line to go see them. And nobody gets put in jail. Nobody. So going after Donald Trump is the icing on top of the cake. Trying to imprison him is the natural end of the road. And why the guys and ladies that want the nomination to be president of the United States don't understand what is happening is proof positive they will be unable to withstand the onslaught if they're fortunate enough to win. Look, quite frankly, I I think the Democrats would be just as happy to have another a Vichy Republican totally. in in uh, office because it's a lot easier to get their work done under that. Because if the public doesn't see the Vichy Republican president uh, outraged, angry, pushing back, trying to unra- unravel some of the stuff that's being done to our children, well, they'll they'll just be complacent and like the proverbial frog in the boiling pot and uh, until it's too late it may already be too late yeah yeah that's 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 my fear although we're going to try to pump some optimism into the program you are listening to the bauer and rose show on sirius xm the patriot channel 125 and the bauer and rose podcasts wherever you get your podcasts we'll be right back have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free 
good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. The Gary Bauer Show. I'm the sidekick. My name is uh, Tom Rose. Um, we're here every Sunday, but let's, uh, let's jump right back into this. The left, if you read, and, and this is another point that I, I always try to make to friends and acquaintances that, that, are, of not, that are not of my uh, political persuasion. The right conservatives know much, much more about the left than the left knows about us. And when you ask the question why, the answer is simple. Because we live in a leftist universe. We are marinated in leftism. All of the commanding heights of the culture of the society that we live in are controlled by the left. So we understand them. They don't get us. And when we say things like that are demonstrably true, that the left is the aggressor in the culture wars, even though the left always tries to uh, accuse us of uh, being divisive. Even their own language talks about it. They call themselves change agents. Conservatives, traditionalists, what are we trying to change? That's the point. We're not trying to change anything, and they're trying to change everything. We're trying to prevent bad change. People say, um, what was Obama's line about hope and change or, you know, we're fighting for right. change? Well, there are two kinds of change, Gary. There's good change and there's bad change, right? I mean, we're not trying to change anything. We're trying to prevent damaging change. That's not an indictment of change per se or the occasional necessity of change. But to illustrate this, this dangerously disingenuous and dishonest point that the nature of the left's approach is to change every aspect of the society that we live in. And it's working because they are changing and have changed nearly every aspect of the society that we live in. Never before was there a notion of gender identity. I mean, I, George McGovern, who was the most left-wing political candidate nominated by a major political party uh, in history until Barack Obama, he'd be spinning and he wouldn't even understand what that, con he, he wouldn't recognize the term gender identity. He wouldn't recognize the concept of gay marriage. And that was George McGovern. Yeah, Tom, and, uh, you know, we, we uh, our elites have bought in, uh, you, you know, we've, we've got uh, the big donors. Some of them are great. Some of them, uh, we know a couple that, that understand that, uh, Politics is downstream from culture. If you lose the culture, your politics are going to end up stinking like a rotten uh, you-know-what-to. Mm -hmm. And we have been losing the culture day after day, week after week, year after year. Uh, our kids have been the target. Uh, the, every measurement of the health of our children is sky high in uh, dysfunction, uh, suicides, uh, drug addiction, um, yet, and, and you, and the Republicans seem to not be able to put together a coherent message that shows how the left wing Democrats, uh, are responsible for this. Tom, the, the most radical thing that, that Joe Biden is saying is the things he says about the transgender issue that um, the, you know, the other day he said, he said it, it, it's almost a sin, he said, for uh, a state to not allow uh, a little boy or little girl to have uh, deforming surgery and be treated with drugs that sterilize them so that they can change their gender. And there was barely a ripple from the Republican Party. Barely a ripple of comment. 
The president of the United States is promoting this insanity. This um, top health official they've got, she's, uh, she, it's assistant secretary for something. Um, the, um, uh, the admiral in address? Um, oh, you're talking I, about, uh, I, uh, this is the guy that was, um, that was a man, uh, when, for most of his life. The admiral in address. Well, there's a, there's a number oh, of them. God. I don't, you know, it's hard to keep them straight unless you, <laughs> you really watch. Watch that word straight, Bauer. That's right. a trigger. Right. So, uh, this man was married, had a couple of children, abandoned his wife and his children, uh, to, uh, become a trans woman and, uh, and then was elevated to be the top health official in the state of uh, Pennsylvania and now as assistant secretary for nonsense, uh, in the Biden Department of Health and Human Services. She was speaking to a health conference, I believe in uh, Connecticut a couple days ago, and she assured uh, the bloodsuckers in the American medical establishment not to be too worried about whether they would continue to be able to be uh, to get wealthy, uh, cutting the breast off of little girls and uh, and uh, treating little boys with uh, powerful chemicals to make them sterile. Uh, she told them not to worry too much because she felt in a few years down the road, uh, these kinds of medical treatments for America's children would be considered routine. And uh, I got angry first when I saw it. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. She's exactly, he's exactly right. Because everything that has happened up until this moment proves that he's right. We went from a point when 29 states from liberal California to conservative uh, Alabama voted against same-sex marriage to a Supreme Court that ordered same-sex marriage to a country where now if you say you're still against same-sex marriage, you are labeled by the media and the Democrat Party as being the equivalent of an anti-Semite or a member of the Ku Klux Klan. You can go to issue after issue after issue we went from, um, well, surely we should be allowed, a woman should allow to, to, to have an abortion if she's raped or the victim of incest to if you try to stop a woman from having an abortion in the ninth month of pregnancy or if the baby is born alive during a failed abortion, if you're for saving the baby, well, you must be a hater of woman, women who want to send women back to the dark ages. I mean, the path, Tom, every step of the way, while Republicans were spending their time arguing about marginal tax rates and trade with China, the, all the things getting to normalcy, to what a family is, to how children should be raised, to American history, to race, every one of those things moved step by step by step by step to the left. Now we have an electorate. If you have an electorate, Tom, that believes men can be women, if you have an electorate of young women that believes, unless I can abort my baby through all nine months of the pregnancy, if you have an electorate, to, uh, an electorate, electorate to, that believes that uh, in, unless I get rid of my car and all of my appliances, uh, the world's going to burn up, uh, and be destroyed by global warming, you're not going to get them to vote Republican by offering them a lower marginal tax rate. What you're going to get them to do is to commit more suicide, to have more mental health problems. Democrats have for a hundred years portrayed themselves as the great guardians of our children. In truth, Gary, they're destroying an entire generation, if not two generations, of young Americans. The harm they're doing to kids, to teens particularly, to young adults, has exploded in recent years from this, this 
uh, despondent scaremongering about global warming. Front page lead story of the New York Times on Thursday. Earth nearing the tipping point for a hot and irredeemable future. That's the New York Times on Thursday of this week. The lockdowns, uh, we've, we've totally unnerved a generation of kids. We're teaching them. Uh, the country they live in is evil and racist and irreconcilably uh, malevolent. It, it, it's it's divisive. We're teaching our kids to uh, be. Um, we're, well, we're obviously <clears throat> brainwashing them, convincing them to be activists rather than 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 critical thinkers. My hope, my prayer, um, and in my rare almost non-existent moments of optimism anymore. My prayer, Gary, is that five years from now, everybody will deny that they ever advocated uh, transitioning children, mutilating children, castrating children, cutting the breasts off children, ruining their lives. My prayer is that five years from now, Everybody will say, I, I didn't support that. No, 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 not me, not me. But um, yeah, I, that's my prayer too, Tom, because unless that is where we are in five years, um, I, you know, I, I hate to break it to, to you, um, I, but I think you agree that our, our def, you know, a buildup of our defense budget is not going to save us. You, you know, Tom, there's, it's really interesting now um, – you know, maybe some of our listeners have not followed me over the years. I've always been a hawk on American foreign policy. It's why I was so moved by Ronald Reagan's speech in 1964 when I resolved to my father that Reagan would be president someday and I would uh, work for him in the White House. You're still a hawk. You just have a very different uh, conception of what national security is and how to best protect and promote it than, than the neocons. Yeah, I thank you for clarifying that. Uh, so when I quote uh, what the, you know, well, I, I don't know why I'm being defensive about this. You, you probably remember that um, the reason that Osama bin Laden and Al Qaeda uh, thought that they could lay the American Republic low uh, was that they were convinced we were decadent and that becoming decadent, we no longer had men and women that had the courage uh, and and staying power to defend the nation. And so they thought they were striking not the first blow, but the last blow, that it would just take a little bit more, right? Um, that's the same narrative that Putin has. And, now, she, I, and, she, and, and, and she, she. They both say multiple times, the Americans are decadent. They're decadent. And... And Putin will cite, you know, the, the, what's being done to their children, the, the breakdown of marriage. Uh, I don't know if she gets that, uh, that, that specific or not. For God's sake, the president of Mexico the other day said, don't blame me for your drug problem. You got a drug problem because you've become decadent. So it is. You notice they're not saying, oh, oh I'm going to I'm going to flex my muscles because you have a weak president. That's what we're saying. This is all happening because we have a weak president. Now, I'm sure the fact that we've got a pushover president is a big factor here. But I think an even bigger factor is that a good bit of the world, including countries that are our friends and allies, countries in of all places, Africa are saying publicly, uh, we're afraid of what's going on in America because we don't want our kids anywhere around it. We're afraid that if we continue to be aligned with America, you're going to keep pushing this stuff on our children. So we're reevaluating we whether we want to be your ally or not. Think about that. I mean, these countries are watching our ambassadors that are sent to their countries by a president like Biden who come with the American flag to put up on the flagpole. But you're lucky if that's the flag you get on any given day. 
you get the gay flag, the transgender flag, the, you know, BLM flag, the this flag, that flag. And they're looking at that and going, whoa, what has happened to America? And our, the Republican Party will only deal with this stuff when it's little throwaway lines. It's a little bit of raw meat to keep people like me happy. Right, and they we don't, don't, under, go they ahead don't understand that, that they get 90% of their vote from people that are upset about this, but they're, they're afraid to make it a major part of their message. Because we don't have the strength or the resolution. I would even go so far as to say the conviction in our values that the left has in theirs. Um, somebody commented, I can't remember, maybe it was Mark Stein or something, that, that, that we're too comatose to even sue for peace. I mean, we're weak in every element. We're demographically weak. We're uh, economically stagnant. While immigration, and this is probably more true, Gary, for Europe than for America, might make the left feel better about itself, and it certainly improves the quality of, of uh, <laughs> restaurants. Depending upon immigration for our future is ipso facto evidence of weakness. We're living at a time of unparalleled prosperity. Um, the majority of developed nations have uh, developed um, uh, welfare states. They've mortgaged their futures in favor of the... Uh, non-sustainable welfare states. Um, we have to get back to the values that, that not simply created this country, but sustained it for 200 years. And we're so far away from that. Our kids and we, you and I lament the state of younger generations constantly. I guess it's a, <clears throat> a, um, an occupational hazard of old geezers like us. But at some point, when you jump off the top of the Empire State Building um, and your friend sticks his head out on the 50th floor and asks how it's going and you say, so far, so good. I mean, at some point, you are going to hit the ground, right? At some point, you're going to go splat. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Tom. I'm going to steal that uh, and uh, use it without citing you or even claiming that I know you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, Tom, all the, way, you know, all the way back in the Reagan administration, I got up one morning and I was reading a story in the Washington Post that at a high school in northern Virginia, or maybe it was a junior high, um, the, a, a teacher asked uh, children uh, fairly far into the school year, um, in the Cold War between Russia and uh, between the Soviet Union and the United States, uh, were they uh, pro-America, uh, pro-Russia, or neutral? And uh, thankfully, nobody in, in the classroom said pro-Russia. Uh, but the majority of the students in uh, you know, the 1980s said neutral. Uh, three students said they were pro-American, and they were... Uh, Vietnam uh, immigrants. Um, so I read the story, and I'm under Secretary of Education at the time, and I asked my staff to find out, um, to give me the, the history and civic books that were being used in that high school or that junior high, and I thumbed through it, and uh, the students perfectly reflected the tone of the books. The books were neutral. The books were written, well, on the one hand, the United States believes this. On the other hand, uh, <laughs> Russia believes that. But then Russia's argument is this, and then da-da-da is that. So um, I, I, uh, I, I reported this to the White House. Reagan was upset about it. Uh, I ended up giving a speech to textbook publishers, um, uh, challenging them to end their neutrality in the uh, Cold War with the Soviet Union. And uh, the room erupted in pandemonium. The speech was in Washington, D.C. to their annual convention. And before I arrived home, as I turned on the radio in my car, 
Uh, it was the lead item on the AP Radio News, quoting various textbook publisher presidents, uh, saying they had never been so fearful for America. A government <laughs> official was attempting to uh, censor the textbooks that they were dutifully printing for America's schoolchildren. And so we had a little brouhaha for a while. I was dragged up before a congressional committee where Tom liberal Republicans like Senator Weicker attacked me with more gusto than the liberal Democrats did. That's all the way back then. We never seriously got back to trying to do anything about what was happening to our schools. What were we thinking? The electorate we get is formed by what they're taught in schools. I heard somebody the other day, somebody, a good guy, I forget who it was. I've heard numbers of people say this. Look, the Republican Party needs to go back to the drawing board. We haven't won a majority of the American people in a presidential election in the last six elections. Even when we win, we've been getting only a plurality, not a majority. We're doing something wrong. What we're doing wrong is letting the left educate our children for 15 years and teach them everything opposite of what the Republican Party claims to, to believe in. I went to meet McCain when he was running against Obama. And I said, you know, Senator, you've got to go after what was that guy's name? Bill Ayers, that leftist. Yeah, that's right. The guy that was <clears throat> what, he implicated in a bombing of the Pentagon or uh, something. Uh, several. The Pentagon, yeah. the Capitol. Right. He was a uh, leader of the Weather Underground. Right. And so Bill Ayers was the place where Barack Obama had his first fundraiser when Barack Obama was running for a lower office uh, in uh, Illinois. He held his fundraiser at Bill Ayers' home. Bill, Bill Ayers and Barack Obama were really close. I said to John McCain, I said, you know, Senator, you've got to pin Bill Ayers around Barack Obama's neck. And he said, Gary, Bill Ayers is a nobody. Bill Ayers isn't important. He's back. He's on some textbook selection commission in Illinois. That hasn't got anything to do with what's happening in America. Has everything and I'm looking at a guy that spent a gazillion years, must have felt like a gazillion years, and a prisoner of war camp in North Vietnam. And he had no concept of why being on a textbook selection committee in a state is probably one of the most important places a person could be. Give me the children for one generation and I will own their country within 20 years. I mean, we're, we're, we are, as we have said over and over again, we have been the stupid party letting the most important battlefields to the left while we continue, continue to say our harshest words for anybody that's to our right. You, you and I have both noticed this, right? You can only be as conservative as the candidate the establishment party nominates. If you are to the right of that candidate, oh my gosh, you're unacceptable, right? The Tea Party was unacceptable. A bunch of extremists. They held them at arm's length. The parents' rights movement. We, we got all into that for a little while. It's drifted away. We let the left, we let the Biden administration demonize parents, sig the FBI on them, set up an 800 line so their neighbors could report them as potential domestic terrorists. And there still hasn't been accountability for allowing that to happen to America's uh, parents. Remember that famous T-shirt that all of us uh, wore when we were kids? Um, picture of an American flag, and uh, these colors don't run. Um, but for 50 years now, that's exactly what those colors have done, <laughs> both yeah. domestically and, uh, and uh, internationally. We are out of time, Gary. We can't be, Tom. We're out. Out of your tea, baby. Drive. <laughs> yeah, look, no, uh, you, you know, we're going to get a, you said we're going to get a uh, hint of, of optimism, uh, and we didn't get any in. Uh, and look, I have to be honest, Tom, the, I, the only way I can be optimistic is if I imagine uh, extraordinary and probably unpleasant things continuing to happen. 
because I, I don't see how this that the left is willing the, the left has set us up so that they weaponize law enforcement against us while they allow their thugs to run wild in the street. And anybody that fights back, whether it's uh, uh, the kid Sandman. Uh, yeah, yeah, Nicholas Sandman, the kid from you know, uh, uh, Louisville or uh, right. Cincinnati uh, or whatever. Uh, it was. Yeah, or, or uh, the, the guy that uh, was put on trial for shooting somebody in the riots, riots in <laughs> Kenosha. Yeah, uh, that kid in the, Wisconsin. The, that the couple uh, that dared to come out on their own front porch waving guns they had a legal right to own. On their tell property. Them, tell them, telling a mini mob that, uh, you know, get off our property. And they, they've almost had their lives destroyed. So if you in any way resist the left's mobs, the left's politicized law enforcement comes to get you. They want to own the streets and they want to own the courts and they want to own the DAs and ultimately they will own the police department. They already are. It's already starting. I mean, look at what's so, happened. Look at what's right. happening to our defense department. Look at the right. leaders of our military. So <clears> if somebody uh, that is trying to get the Republican presidential nomination can tell me how they're going to stop that when they're president. Or give a speech explaining what their answer to that is. Nikki Haley, I'm talking about you. My good friend Tim Scott, I'm talking about you. Uh, Chris Christie, oh, give me a ring. Um, I don't hear any of them putting out a plan. They don't, that, they don't, that's, look, this is you what, know, you, know what, you know what Donald Trump's plan is. I'll punch you in the mouth. That's his plan. I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, we're out of time. Um, and you are headed to greener pastures. You're not, I mean, I'm not, I don't mean to set our Bower and Rose listening audience on edge. Gary will be back, but he's just taken a couple of days off. Yeah, we're going to, uh, we're going to go to see some historic sites in, in Europe and, uh, uh, remember where young American men that had no doubt they were men and, and young American women who had no doubt they were women, uh, where they bled and sacrificed so that Europe, uh, could remain free, uh, and forever ungrateful. Well, although I'll say this about Normandy as opposed to the rest of France, Normandy is still a place, and I think you'll find this, where they appreciate the United States. Yeah, that's that's true. I've heard that from many, many people uh, that have been there. I, I think when you actually uh, saw the Americans die to save your butt uh, and that story was passed on uh, from generation to generation, it tends to linger in the heart. Now, when you head south, when you get on the M4 and head to Paris, that's not going to be the same. But when you're <laughs> in Normandy, I think you'll find that um, that's hey, one. Paris is, Paris is burning. Uh, they tried entitlement reform. It's not going well. That's right. Now you have to work until you're, what, 47 or something? Yeah, that's, that's terrible. Right. Anyway, we're way over time. Have a great, great trip. It sounds like it's going to be fabulous. The whole family, um, in-laws, uh, grandkids, it sounds like it's going to be terrific. And we'll talk to you when you get back. Looking forward to it, Tom. <laughs>